The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, so uh, here we go. This evening's questions are as follows. First one, um, dear Ajahn, can you talk about how you have uh, been able to reduce or work uh, on a particular defilement in your practice in surrounding the home life? Uh, yes, I can talk about that. It, this is uh, uh, going to come up much more later on in the retreat, but I, I suppose some of you might be leaving on the weekends. Maybe kind of good to talk a little bit about that uh, at the beginning as well and uh, there's two kind of main defilements that you can really work on as part of the practice well there's actually three really without normally talks about um, desire uh, ill will and delusion yeah these are kind of the three main areas and uh, the two you know delusion is very hard to work with apart from maybe reading the suttas and gradually getting straight view uh, so it's about allowing yourself to be brainwashed by these beautiful teachings of the Buddha gradually, gradually. And as you do so, you straighten out your view. And that actually is a reduction in delusion in its own right yeah, by straightening out your, your views of things. Uh, but uh, what I, so that is one aspect of reducing defilements, actually just understanding and reflecting on these teachings, uh, contemplating the meaning, uh, how to get your values kind of aligned with the, uh, uh, with the way the world actually works, etc., etc., and you do that by seeing, understanding how the Buddha taught. Uh, that is one aspect. Another aspect, a very important part, is how to overcome ill will. Uh, yeah, ill will is so destructive. Uh, and uh, if uh, you're going to work on anything, I would really recommend you to work on ill will. And it's not that hard to deal with uh, ill will. Uh, and uh, the way. Uh, the way to do that is a, there's a whole sutta on uh, on this. I'll come back to this later on. I read it out on every retreat because I think it is so fundamental to the uh, spiritual life. Uh, but one of the ways of doing that is to remember that people are always conditioned into what they are. Uh, yeah, the reason why we become upset with others, uh, the reason why we give rise to ill will is very often because we feel other people are treating us badly or doing the wrong thing or or whatever it is, it's always about, it's a, usually a personal thing, uh, the feeling that other people are not doing what they should be doing in one way or another. Uh, and then ill will can arise because of that. Uh, so one of the very easy reminders, you have to remind yourself of these things again and again, uh, but one of the easy reminders is to remind yourself that people are conditioned to be the way they are. Uh, people don't normally want to you know, do bad things or to upset us or anything like that. Uh, it's just that their personality has been conditioned in a certain way. Uh, that conditioning happens in this life. Uh, yeah, all the things we have done in this life. Uh, and that's going to be important. But of course, it also goes much further back than that. It goes back into who knows what kind of lives in the past. Uh, and uh, that is uh, the problem, yeah? And people are conditioned, and because they're conditioned, they do silly things, uh, and because they do silly things, and we get upset because of that. Uh. But uh, because they remember, because they are conditioned, they don't really have much choice in the matter. Uh, yeah, if they do something stupid, something silly, something annoying, something which seems as if it is a personal affront to yourself or whoever, uh, then it's not really personal at all. It is has not nothing to do with you, really. It has to do with them. It is their conditioning that is a problem. Uh, 
And once you look at people in that way, uh, once you understand that actually it's got nothing to do with you, it's not a personal thing at all, uh, it is their conditioning. Uh, they are the ones who have to deal with their problems more than what we have to. Uh, they are the ones who suffer the most uh, because of their own silliness, yeah, because of their own conditioning. Uh, and you understand they don't have much choice in the matter. Uh, then you start to have compassion rather than actually getting upset by things. Uh, because you understand they are trapped. Uh, they are trapped by habit. Uh, they are trapped, in a sense, in their personality. Personality is a trap. Uh, kind of weird way of thinking about personality. Uh, yeah, we tend to develop our personalities that we may be proud of what we have achieved. But once you understand, actually, it is a trap uh, because it's delusion. Yeah, I mean, very big part of personality is uh, a delusion about the reality of the world. Uh, once you understand it's a trap, uh, then you can start to have compassion for other people. Uh, don't think of it as you. It's not you against them. They're not doing it against you. They're doing it because of their themselves, because of their problem inside of themselves. Uh, and uh, very often people actually want to be kind. They want to be wise. They want to be caring. Because I think all of us, pretty much, almost everyone, knows that kindness leads to happiness for, for ourselves and also for other people. We know that. Uh, yeah, it's just so obvious uh, that when you treat people fairly and with a care and all of these things, you tend to feel good about yourself. It leads to happiness all around. And yet somehow, despite that, uh, very often we can't help ourselves but to act in silly ways and do stupid things. Uh, and this gives you the ability to forgive other people uh, when you understand that. Uh, and then at the same time, you can rejoice in the good qualities the other people have. Uh, and this ability to rejoice in the good qualities, uh, yeah, that is kind of a meta in a sense. You think, wow, I'm so fortunate to be surrounded by so many other good people, uh, other people who practice the path in the way that I do, uh, people who, you know, who have good qualities. What a wonderful thing that is. Uh, that is the meta part of things. Uh, and then the compassion part is where you see people uh, acting against their own best interest. Uh, and that's really what it is, people acting against their own best interest. Once you understand that, then compassion becomes possible. Uh, so this is how you deal with... Uh, Ill will. There's no, you know, once you start to look at people like I, similar off news like a red traffic light or like a traffic light, uh, you come to a traffic light, yeah, you're not going to get that angry with a traffic light. You might get a little bit angry, but not incredibly angry, yeah. You're not going to kind of start shouting at the traffic light. You might shout at another person if you are silly, uh, but you're not going to shout at a traffic light. Uh, or would you? I don't know. Maybe you would. Uh, I, I <laughs> People do all kind of weird things, so you maybe you would, but I could, you you realize that that's silly very quickly. Yeah, you kind of uh, you catch yourself afterwards. You understand, okay, that was a mistake. Yeah. But actually, people are like traffic lights. People go red when they get angry; they go red, <laughs> and then they go green again at later stage. Yeah, and we kind of we oscillate between things. We're just like traffic lights. When you see people like that, wow! Actually, you can have compassion for almost anyone. Of course, you're not always going to be successful. Sometimes you get out on the of the bed on the wrong side of the bed in the morning and you feel really miserable and then it's easy to get upset because of you starting your day out in the wrong way. And so you have to forgive yourself as well. You have to understand your own conditioning here. And this is the beauty of this, that once you start to understand the conditioning of other people, you can forgive them. You can also forgive yourself. You realize you are no different. Yeah, okay, I made a mistake. It's okay to make a mistake. Yeah, we're all human. And uh, then when you look at yourself in that way, you stop getting uh, so harsh with yourself. Often we are too harsh, we demand too much. Uh, 
it's kind of funny we're on the spiritual path we have these very high demands of ourselves and we kind of make ourselves more miserable because of that uh, but no don't do that uh, allow yourself to make mistakes uh, instead contemplate why you made that mistake it's actually a mistake to get angry about a mistake uh, yeah <laughs> if you get upset about your own mistakes what you do is you're blocking out the ability to learn from it because the moment you get upset with yourself uh, you have this biased view of yourself and you can't see clearly anymore uh, but if you are cool about your own mistake, you just observe, okay, I made a mistake. Yeah. And then you observe, you understand the underlying problem, what is happening with that. Uh, then you can really actually make some progress in overcoming that. So don't judge yourself. Yeah, You too are like a trap. We're all like traffic lights. So. Then when you see that, it becomes easier to, uh, to deal with the problem. Okay, this is my conditioning. Now how can I look at the situation differently so I don't become upset next time around or do something silly next time? And then... You learn, uh, learn from that. Uh. So that this is how you overcome defilements. Yeah, and it, this really works. This is the kind of things that I've been using for 25 years as a Buddhist monk. So uh, quite a while, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, then there is the sensuality of things, or the uh, you know the attraction to worldly things, uh, or the uh, you know attachment to the to the world. And uh, the way to overcome that is just to understand how inherently unreliable the world is, uh, how the world never really works out the way you want it to work out. Uh, and when you understand how the world really is inherently unreliable, it becomes start to become very uninteresting. Uh, and what becomes interesting instead is your inner life, because that you can do something with. Uh, yeah, We all have a choice whether we're going to be kind, whether we're going to be compassionate and caring and all of these things. You can do something with your inner life. Uh, but the external world, almost by definition, it is out of control. Uh, so it becomes uninteresting when you understand how fundamentally it is out of control. Uh, in one way, you know, the if you look at the world today with all the climate crisis that we have and with the kind of instability of politics almost so many places around the world, the politics seem to be very unstable and moving in kind of new directions. And when you see that happening, yeah, then instead of getting depressed about it, uh, understand it is an opportunity to let go of that world because that world is, that's the nature of that world. Uh, we do what we can but even when we do what we can, uh, there is absolutely no guarantee we will succeed in getting things on the right track. So because of that, uh, you let go. Uh. This is the beauty. This is an opportunity. This is about the beautiful thing about the spiritual life. Crisis in the ordinary worldly life is an opportunity for spiritual growth, uh, especially on the Buddhist path, because it teaches you about the nature of reality. Uh. This is one of the things that... Um, uh, you know, Ajahn Shah or was Ajahn Brahm's teacher. He said that you know nature teaches you. Huh? Yeah, this is nature. Politics is nature. Climate change is nature. Whatever is happening outside is nature. T learn from that. That is where you have. There is some. Th this is the ground for learning. Once you learn from that, uh, then your values change. You start to look for results or happiness or lack of suffering or peace or whatever in the right place it changes your attention your your purpose and aim this is very much part of what i was talking about this morning about having right view and right understanding in these things so, so these are just some ways yeah of dealing with uh, defilements and problems so. So, but I will come back more to this later on because this is actually, as you say, is a very important area, and it is how to really, you know, this is where uh, our minds gradually change, and if you can change your mind, everything else tends to fall into place. So. Okay, let's go on to the next one.
Okay, can you help me understand the practical use in our practice of adaptation? Adaptation, okay. To facilitate facilitate touching the ultimate reality. That's the wisdom of the adaptation of conditioned genesis connected with emptiness. Gee, okay. <laughs> Uh, the Sutta from the Sangyutta Nikaya 1. Sangyutta Nikaya 1. Okay. I was advised uh, to use adaptation, but did not have the chance to really ask about how. So you're adapting something, okay? So you are adapting the con conditioned genesis connected with emptiness. The Sangyutta Nikaya the Sangyutta Nikaya, I think, I see, okay. A sutta from the Sangyutta Nikaya, I think, okay. Um, I'm not sure exactly what you mean, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I Condition genesis, you're t talking about dependent origination, connected with emptiness. So uh, the, the point about dependent origination is that it is this sequence of uh, 12 factors that it shows you the connection between um, delusion at the root and how delusion leads to suffering. Yeah, that's what dependent origination is about. That's or sometimes translated as conditioned genesis. Uh, and uh, quite rightly, it is connected with emptiness because what this sequence shows you, it shows you how dukkha, how suffering arises from avidja without a, a self, yeah, without any kind of inherent essence that carries through this process. Uh, so that is, that's exactly what dependent origination is about. This is one of the kind of critical things about dependent origination. And this is, we will see that later on as we go through the suttas, that uh, this is actually the thing that, you know, makes Buddhism Buddhism is precisely the non-self nature of things. This sequence or this causality happening, but no inherent essence is part of the sequence. Just one thing leading to another one with nothing really passing through. So... Uh, uh, the way we adapt this adaptation of this conditioned genesis is basically what you have to do is you have to reflect on dependent origination and see how it applies in your own life. That's how you adapt it. Uh, all the teachings of the Buddha are about reflecting on them, trying to understand them. And as you reflect and understand them, you can actually take them on board and you can use them in your own practice. Uh, so uh, I, I will come back to this later on because it's part of this retreat, part of the sutta. So maybe you are here just for the weekend. I'm not sure. So, uh, for example, uh, uh, dependent origination shows you how avidja, delusion, leads to sankhara. Sankhara are choices or intentions. Yeah. If you are deluded about reality, you make bad choices. That's basically what it is about. Yeah. When you make bad choices, then that affects your mind. It affects your consciousness. Vinyana is the third factor. When you make bad choices, then uh, you sometimes you do stupid things and it drags you down. Or other times you may do good things. It kind of lifts you up a little bit. Uh, and the sum total of your actions will then decide whether you are dragging yourself down or lifting yourself up, whether you're making progress or not. Uh, so you can see here how this avidja kind of informs our choices in a, ne in a negative way. Or as you then reduce avidja, your choices become better. Huh? And you start lifting yourself up. Huh? You become a better person. You feel lighter, brighter, and all of these positive things. Huh? So understanding how this whole sequence works, huh? you start to see how 
um, how avidja transforms into happiness down the track. Yeah. Eventually, the transformation to happiness actually happens through rebirth, uh, but it also happens in this particular life. Uh, that is one way of thinking about dependent origination. There are many more ways. Uh, uh, but um, let me come back to that uh, towards the later on in the retreat. Hopefully, you are here. And if you're not here, then come. Yeah? <laughs> then we'll see what happens. Uh. Okay. There's too many questions to go into too much detail. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Maybe that's a good idea to be here. I'm not sure. Anyway. Uh, how does meditation help with addiction? Thank you, Ajahn. How does it help with addiction? Uh, um, uh, one way that it helps with addiction, it is an alternative source of happiness. Yeah. Why do people get addicted? Well, addicted is just a strong form of attachment. The reason why we attach to things is because we um, find ha we think there's happiness in those things, so we hold on to them, we grasp onto them. Yeah. And by finding happiness somewhere else not just by meditation, but through the entire Noble Eightfold Path, uh, you build up an alternative source of happiness that is far, far more productive of real happiness than any kind of uh, addiction that you might have. Yeah? We, addiction is we, you know, we hold on to these things desperately hoping for some sort of happiness, but really it is very bad for us because when you are addicted, you are really you lose your de independence and you you kind of you know you you end up doing silly things because of that addiction uh, so instead uh, come you know practice the buddhist path become addicted to the buddhist practice uh, but that addiction is a good addiction right some addictions are good some are bad uh, so find the good addiction uh, what you find is that the buddhist addiction actually is not is is a kind of weak form of addiction. If you become addicted to kindness, you know what I mean. It's not really a very strong form of addiction. It's easy to let go of. That's the problem with it. Uh, <laughs> so you have to really cling on to it a little bit. Otherwise, you lose it very fast. Uh, but it's good to be a little bit addicted to kindness. Uh, it's good to be a little bit addicted to peace, uh, to generosity, to compassion, to all of these things. Uh, because when you are a little bit addicted to those things, uh, it actually encourages you and it heads you in the right direction. Uh, so um, uh, you often hear that you have to be careful about meditation because you become addicted to the pleasure. But all, every aspect of the path has some pleasure to it, and all of those things are part and parcel for the practice. You uh, of the practice, you can't really avoid. It's the whole point of it is to kind of give rise to these kind of pleasures. Uh, and the Buddha says we should be devoted to the pleasures of meditation practice. It's good to be devoted to those things. Yes, there's going to be a little bit of addiction there. You learn to deal with that, and then eventually it gives rise to very profound results. Yeah, it, it's not. We can't avoid all addictions. It's impossible. It's inherent in the human mind. It's inherent in the sense of self that we will attach to things. You can't avoid attachments. So we have to learn to attach in the right way, then eventually overcome those attachments. You have to be addicted in the right way and eventually overcome addictions. Uh, so move towards uh, this alternative, lesser form of addiction, first of all, uh, the small addictions of the path, uh, and then let go of those other addictions in life that are uh, problematic uh, and gradually move away. Uh, that is the best way of do doing it. Uh, also, Try to understand the inherent problem in addiction, how it leads to your lack of depend independence, uh, how it uh, leads to you ultimately doing 
bad things because you are addicted if you have a very bad drug addiction yeah the addiction the drugs become so important to you that you're willing to commit all kind of crimes uh, to satisfy your habit uh, we know how that works yeah we see this happening all the time and of course if you start to get that you want to stay away from those kind of drugs otherwise it's it's bad news but all kind of addictions have problems in that way so then you learn the danger and you learn an alternative happiness and then you have the recipe for for getting out of it if you don't see the danger then usually you're not willing you won't be willing to let it go yeah this is why many people are the kind of that you have to be ready to be able to let go of an addiction. If you're not ready, nobody can really persuade you. Huh? You have to understand the problem, uh, and then there is a chance you will let it go. Huh? So it's not uh, necessarily easy, but if you have a if you are a, if you have some Buddhist practice, then there is a good opportunity here. Yeah. Okay. Why must we experience endless rebirths and suffering in order to be fully awakened? Why can't we be enlightened without going through suffering and delusion here? Um, you can just just do it. You know, I am. <laughs> I'm not saying that you have you must be deluded and go through lots of rebirth. I'm saying this is just the way things are. Yeah, here we are. We, you are deluded. That's what that's the starting point. The starting point is rebirth, and the point of us is to get out of it. I'm not suggesting you should go through it. Yeah, on the contrary, I'm saying you should get out of it. So if you can get out of it straight away, bang, do it. By all means, don't wait, don't hold back. This is not about kind of accumulating a number of rebirths and kind of whatever. It's about you know, getting out of this as soon as you possibly can. So uh, indeed, so don't, you know, do what you can. The problem is that uh, the problem is that delusion can be delusion is delusive yeah with delusion deludes you and because of that it's uh, takes a lot of commitment and perseverance to get out of these things that is the hard part uh, it's not that the buddhist practice is difficult anyone can do it yeah anyone can be kind you don't have it's not about intelligence or anything like that it's about w being wise and that is what is difficult it's difficult because delusion is always there so it's about the commitment and perseverance that is the point uh, if you are really committed and you really persevere, then uh, you may make an end of these things in this life. Uh, yeah, it's possible. Uh, so please don't, don't, you know, don't allow yourself to be held back. Uh, just go for it. Uh, so why can't you? Uh, there's no reason why you can't. Just, just do it. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so, but remember, it is, you know, it is. Even the Buddha was having troubles. Yeah, even the Buddha found it hard to break through the veil of delusions. Remember, it's quite profound. Uh, yeah, it is not something that uh, uh, you know. It's easy for the ego to get involved, and once the ego gets involved, then it's going to be even worse. You have to let go of the ego. Uh, it's not about uh, you know, I I want to get enlightened. Yeah, because I I'm really smart or whatever. If you think like that, there's no way you're going to get enlightened in the first place. Uh, you have to let go of that. The, the ego has to kind of get out of the way. It has to die down, and you have to become find this beautiful emptiness inside, and then there is a chance that you will succeed. Yeah. Okay. For each rebirth, is our physical and spiritual life events predestined? Is there such a thing as destiny? Yeah. Um. 
not really because destiny kind of means that you you have a very you know that things are as you say they are predestined and we kind of we know what's going to happen in the future uh, but uh, that is not how things work what you do matters so what you do in this life will determine yeah how you get reborn uh, so our we have agency uh, we have the ability to change our future course uh, and that is what in large part what this path is all about uh, so what you do matters enormously huh? so uh yeah for that reason there's a good very you know good reason for getting up in the morning and doing all the right things uh, because that will really change your life it's in your hands uh, whether you're going to be happy or miserable huh? yeah so you 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 are the creator of your own future essentially huh? and that creation is happening now yeah in this moment now we create our future huh? so uh yeah that is uh, really the answer so you have enormous amounts of influence on uh, how the future goes uh, and uh, so if you uh, put in the effort you put in the intention do the right thing uh, then you'll be heading in the right direction uh. okay when i meditate i sometimes feel lightheaded and a bit of panic is it normal uh? Is it because I am about to fall asleep but trying to stay awake? What should I do about it? Uh, okay, I lightheaded a bit of panic. Um, uh, it depends on... Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by a bit of panic, but um, uh, anything, everything is normal in meditation. Yeah? So nothing is abnormal. People have gone through all kinds of things before beforehand. Uh, and there's almost, you know, uh, so uh, th there's nothing that is abnormal. But it, ideally, you don't really want to panic. Yeah, it's not a good, it's not a very good thing. The purpose of meditation is to improve your good qualities of your mind, to decline the bad ones, uh, and to feel that you get more clarity. Uh, you have less problems. Yeah, you have less fear. Panic is a kind of fear. You want to let go of the fear and the desires and aversions and all of these kind of things. Uh, so panic is something you ideally you want to let go of. Uh, um, but ab yes, it is normal, like everything else. Um, so is it because I am about to fall asleep but trying to stay awake? Maybe, yeah, I, I don't know. It could be that. It could have a thousand reasons probably. That could be one of them. So don't try to stay awake. If the mind wants to go to sleep, it is heading in that direction. As I said yesterday, if you snore, we will all forgive you. So please feel free to snore. And it's a nice exercise in not being self-conscious, yeah? You can just snore when everyone else is kind of listening to it. It's kind of, it's kind of nice, yeah? You don't care about what anyone else in the whole world thinks about you. And there's something really nice about that. We tend to be so occupied, preoccupied about what other people think about us. Yeah, this is kind of one of those big human things. But actually, what do other people know anyway? They haven't got a clue. Who cares what other people think? Yeah? They, have, they don't know what they're talking about anyway. So forget about other people, yeah? <laughs> Just do your own thing and do what is, and just relax and enjoy and fall asleep for goodness sake. It is okay here. Allow yourself to nod, yeah? Sometimes you see people nodding. I know some very good meditators who nod every time they meditate, they start out, they start nodding, yeah? And they nod, nod, and then after a while, okay, clarity come, kicks in, and then their meditation takes off, yeah? So these are some of the really good meditators. If they can nod, if they are allowed to nod, you are also allowed to nod. It does not mean you are a bad meditator. It might mean that you are a good meditator. Yeah, remember that. Uh, 
Good meditators nod. <laughs> Sometimes, anyway. So, don't please don't use force to keep yourself awake. Remember that one of the reasons why you are tired is because you have used force before. Yeah, we, a lot of uh, the tiredness of the mind comes because we work really hard. We force our mind to write a report or to read something. You're at work. You have to do all kind of things. Not everything we do is enjoyable in life. And that's the way life has to be. It can't really be otherwise. But because of that, we use a degree of force. And when you use a degree of force, you get tired. You come back home in the evening and you feel exhausted. So don't force yourself to be awake because that force is the same thing that made you tired in the first place. Allow yourself to nod off. Allow yourself just to relax. Yeah, And that is okay. Sometimes... If you want to kind of gradually kind of allow the tiredness to go, you can do a bit of walking meditation. Yeah, If you are at home, you can put on some Buddhist chanting or some nice simple music if you want to gradually kind of get rid of the exhaustion. And then you can kind of go to the meditation. You can listen to a nice guided meditation by someone you trust, uh, someone who has a nice voice that makes you f get in the right mood, Yeah, where you feel at ease, you feel at peace. Uh, I always like to tell that when I... One of the nice things about being at Bodhinyana Monastery is that we have Ajahn Brahm as a teacher. Yeah? Yay! <laughs> and Ajahn Brahm, I don't know, you, probably all of you know this already, but Ajahn Brahm has this ability when he is in the right mood during the Rains Retreat. Yeah? Sometimes the peace that comes with the way he speaks and the way he is, it's just so powerful. You just sit there and you just become really, really peaceful just by listening to the way he speaks. So get some of those talks, yeah, or some of those guided meditations that make you feel peaceful, uh, and listen to that, and it will kind of uh, it will transport you into the right zone. And when you are in the right zone, uh, then meditation will happen pretty much all by itself. Uh. So be wise about this. Know the thing that trigger peace of mind and a, and a good state in yourself. Uh, and when you know the triggers, uh, use those triggers in a in a good way, and then uh, you make much more progress on this path. Uh. This is why I always say at the end of the meditation, um, look back, yeah, see how it works, uh, understand the process. And it's very simple things that you will see. There's nothing profound about it, but you will see, okay, this time I let go. I just sat there, yeah, I didn't do anything. Okay, that's how you sit. This is how you just sit there. Because people don't even understand what it means to just sit there. Because very often the sitting there means trying to trying to sit there or trying to be still or I must be peaceful. As soon as you try, actually, you destroy that uh, absence of willpower which is just enjoying the sitting down. Yeah, But by looking back, you can actually understand. Suddenly you get it right. Then you understand why it works. Uh, or you will notice that you... Um, have a certain perception in your mind. Uh, yeah, You feel maybe a sense of compassion or kindness for everyone around you. Uh, and you see how that perception actually led to something very positive afterwards. Uh, yeah, And then you... These are very simple things. Uh, when I ask you to review, it's nothing complicated about it at all. It's just an understanding of the process, as I'm mentioning now. Uh, that is what it's all about. Uh. So be wise about these things. See how it works. And then gradually it will come together in this way here. Uh. So, uh, yeah, so that, uh, that is what I would recommend you to do about it. Yeah, don't just allow things to be here. Uh, and then uh, hopefully, uh, uh, after a while, you start to see the way out of the tiredness and uh, how, it, you know, how you can make it work properly for yourself. Uh. Okay, 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 okay. Next one. 
when I start preparing for meditation, relaxing my body with closed eyes and being calm, then when I start to feel my breath, I sometimes start to feel my heartbeat as well at the same time. So I get confused whether I'm watching uh, over my breath or the heartbeat. Uh, your kind advice, please. Many thanks. Don't worry about it. You can watch your ha heartbeat and the breath. Yes, stay with your breath, but your heartbeat will be there in the background. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, uh, so just, um, it is often like that in meditation, that a number of things will happen at the same time. Yeah, If you are watching your breath, you will also hear sounds occasionally, because sounds always are intrusive in your meditation. But as long as you just allow them to be in the background, uh, they're not going to affect your meditation very much. Yeah, They're just there in the background in a sense. Your breath is the main meditation object. Uh, then you're doing it in the right way. Same thing, just allow the heartbeat to be the, in the background. Uh, the main thing is the meditation object. Uh, and allow that to kind of calm you down further. Uh, but be careful. Make sure that you have enough mindfulness before you go to the breath. Uh, because again, otherwise you might use willpower. That willpower might cause the heartbeat to become more powerful perhaps. Uh, so uh, again... Watch what works, yeah? Know the right time to go to the breath. This is also something you learn after a while by reviewing your meditation at the end, what actually works for you. So uh, then as you watch the breath, uh, watch your mind, see what happens, whether you are again becoming more peaceful, that there's no unwholesome states arising and all of that. This is how you decide whether you're doing the right thing. Yeah? And then you'll be on the right track, yeah? Hi, Ajahn Brahmali. Thank you for coming to Melbourne this year. You are welcome. When you were explaining the varying degrees of right view, you mentioned understanding why we should be kind. All of this might seem like a silly question. Would you mind explaining why and the benefits of being kind, particularly when others are unkind to us? Thank you very much. It is super nice to see both of you, uh, you and Adam Saro, in this retreat. Okay, so there you are. <laughs> that's good uh, it's nice to have a, a fellow monk actually with me I really appreciate that uh, it's nice that he wants to be here I thought uh, he might be dead tired of hearing me talk by now but still uh, he's you know, coming along which is very, which is very nice so um, uh, well you know one of the most important things is for you to investigate this kind of thing yourself uh, why is it nice to be kind and just to see what happens in your mind when you are kind compared to when you are unkind. What does it feel like to be kind? What does it feel like to be unkind? This is really where you learn the most. Yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I can tell you how it works for me or how it works according to the suttas, uh, but uh, if you see it in your own life, that is when it's going to be powerful for you. Huh? So see what happens in your mind when you are have the intention to be kind and when you have the intention to be unkind. What does it feel like? Yeah? And uh, if you watch, if it is real kindness coming from the heart, uh, you will feel really good. You, it feels really nice to be kind to someone else. Yeah, it is a very positive feeling. Uh, and if you are unkind, if, again, if it really is coming from something bad inside of you, uh, yeah, if really, because whatever reason, uh, then you will feel bad about yourself afterwards. Uh. And once you notice that, you notice that every time you are unkind, you are letting only one person down. Not the person you're unkind to. Well, you're letting them down in, in a little bit as well. But the person you're really letting down is yourself. You're acting like your own enemy. 
Why? Because you're mistreating yourself. Do you want to act as your enemy or do you want to act as your own friend? That is the question you need to ask yourself. Being friendly to yourself is the same as being friendly to others. Being unfriendly to others is the same as being your own enemy. So what do you want to be here? You want to be your own friend? Or do you want to be your own enemy here? Yeah, it's obvious what the answer is. I don't really have to tell you, of course. But uh, So that is what it really is like. So feel these things for yourself. And this is what kamma really is. Kamma is the connection between intention and how you feel about yourself. And that is something you can feel in the present moment. Uh, right here, right now. Yeah, Test it out. Uh, and then you will really see what is going on. Uh, that is really what kamma is. A connection between intention or motivation, if you like, and how then you feel as a consequence. So this is the first thing. It actually makes you happy to be kind. Yeah? And the more kindness you have, if you are kind consistently and you avoid the, uh, uh, the bad things consistently, what you are doing is you're gradually lifting yourself up. You feel better and better and better about yourself. This is where real self-esteem comes from. Uh, yeah, this is where it really comes from, and uh, because this is a kind of very wholesome kind of self-esteem and self-worth, you really get good self-worth uh, when this happens, uh, and you're lifting yourself up, feeling brighter and brighter, yeah, lighter and lighter, yay, <laughs> and uh, that is kind of the uh, the idea behind this. But of course, what also happens, and this is one of the reasons why this is so important for meditation practice, is that uh, as you feel good about yourself yeah it is very easy to be mindful why because if you feel good about yourself the present moment is a happy place to be why because if you're good about yourself but if you feel bad about yourself you don't really want to be in the present moment you rather fantasize about something yeah and that is the problem with being unkind it destroys really your ability to uh, be, be mindful and then meditation cannot work as a consequence the logic is very it's very obvious when you think about it. And this is why sila is the foundation for meditation practice. Sila and right view. Right view gives you the right values. It knows where to find happiness. So you are interested in the right things. And then the sila to support uh, the happiness in the present moment. Those two things together are the foundations for meditation practice. And the more you reflect on that, the more obvious it will be to you that this is the way it has to be here. And then gradually you build up the happiness through all of these things. First of all through sila, then for changing your mental habits, then through meditation, then deep samadhi, and ultimately through insight, uh, which comes you know, uh, down the path as well. Here. When others are unkind to us, remember that when others are unkind to you, it's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with them. It's their problem. They are the ones who are deluded. They are the ones who don't know what they're doing. They are the ones who can't help themselves. They're the ones who become, the light goes red every now and again. Yeah, that is the problem. It's not you. And what you should do with a person who are unkind to you, you should have compassion for them. Why? Because they have no idea what they're doing. They are hurting themselves. Anyone who hurts themselves is deluded. Nobody really wants to hurt themselves. They don't understand what they're doing. They are in darkness. They are deluded. Have compassion for them. It's like you turn the table around. Instead of getting angry and upset with somebody, instead of thinking about yourself. And selfishness is this very unpleasant feeling anyway. It's small. It's tight. It's kind of it's this my little world against everyone else. It's, not, it's unpleasant. Compassion is that when your mind opens up to the world uh, and you can kind of take everyone into your heart, even if they are difficult and they are unkind to you. Uh, this is how you think. Yeah.
Okay, so uh, there you are. Okay. Dear Ajahn, thank you for your guidance. You mentioned the Antara Bhava stage in your talk. What happens to the stream of consciousness during this stage and how long can this stage last before rebirth? Well, that is the stream of consciousness at that point. Yeah, that, that the Antara Bhava is a that stream of consciousness. It just means that uh, uh, you're kind of waiting for your Kamma to take uh, proper uh, to kind of to work, yeah, and then when the kamma really kind of comes together, then you take rebirth according to kamma. So this is like a stage where kamma hasn't really kicked in properly yet, and you're waiting for your kamma to sort of uh, kick in and send you to where you deserve to go. Hopefully that's a good place, yeah. So you deserve to go to a good place. But it's basically your consciousness. It's almost as if you are, maybe it is still part of this life in a certain sense. You're still kind of connected to this existence, perhaps. Yeah, and then before you then get properly reborn, uh, this is what the intermediate stage is about, and this fits very well with uh, you know if you read some of the modern uh, experience that people have of near-death experience and these things, these are very similar kind of to the experiences people have. Uh, they leave this body, they go to some kind of mental realm, yeah, which is often very happy, not always, but often quite happy, especially if they're good people. And then they often have this feeling of, of getting to a barrier. And if they go beyond that barrier, they can't come back. Yeah. So all of these things that happen in between there are like the antara bhava, the intermediate state. Uh, it is um, uh, one of the suttas. The, um, uh, there is a, a monk called Vachag Gotta, I think he goes to the Buddha and he asks the Buddha, well, what is it that sustains you after you have died but before you are reborn? Yeah, What is it that sustains you at that time after you have died but before you are reborn? Well, what can that be except for Antrabhava? Yeah? You have died but not reborn yet. Well, that would be the Antrabhava. This would be exactly what we're talking about here. And what sustains you is, surprise, surprise, craving. Yeah? Like everywhere else, uh, craving is always kind of the thing that holds you up. Uh, so uh, it is the stream of consciousness supported by craving. That's what Antrabhava is, just like everything, uh, everything else. Um, how long can it last? It can. It, I think it can. I haven't, it doesn't say in a suttas how long it can last, but uh, I think rebirth can be instantaneous if you have very strong karma. It can be instantaneous. For example, if you you're uh, going to get reborn in a jhana realm. Yeah, you kind of you enter the jhana through the dying process, and bang, you go there. You're there straight away. There's no need to kind of wait for anything here. Or maybe if you have very, very bad negative karma, yeah, you're a mass murderer or something like that. Maybe bang, you just come poof straight to kind of a very nasty realm as a consequence. But uh, for a lot of people, it will be somewhere in between, uh, and then. Uh, it will last, you know, I guess depending on, I have no idea what conditions, but depending on, um, uh, you know, maybe it would take your time, maybe you have to kind of do your life review and you have to kind of look at your own life and then you have sort of have to judge yourself whether you have done good or bad or whatever. And then uh, based on those things, it will then happen. Uh, in some teaching, it says 49 days. That's kind of, the, I think, as a Tibetan point of view. According to the, and there's nothing really in the sutta that says anything about the length of time, so it's just very, very uncertain. Uh, so who knows? Uh, I don't know. I who knows that that who is not me. So let's uh, 
Let's go on to the next one. <laughs> is there a difference between reincarnation and rebirth? And is it important for me to see that in light of the teaching of non-self? These are just words. Yeah? Reincarnation, rebirth. Uh, it depends how you use those words, uh, I suppose. And uh, some people say that reincarnation is like the uh, means that there is a soul it's kind of implied that there's a soul that incarnates Car you know karna is a latin word which means flesh so it's like back in the re into the flesh yeah back in the flesh again so it kind of sort of implies that the soul or whatever is coming back into a human existence uh, or it can be used to imply that uh, and then we maybe use the idea of rebirth as an idea that actually there's no soul. It's just a kind of continuation. But people, these are just words, and it really depends on how we define them, yeah, what we mean by them. Uh, but uh, the most important thing is to understand that from a Buddhist point of view, it is just a process uh, that is happening, and there's nothing inherent that actually goes, goes through there. Okay. So that is uh, all for this evening. So uh, I uh, wish you all a happy, nice night uh, and uh, keep on enjoying yourself. And then we'll see you back again tomorrow morning. So let's just do the Arahang Sammasambudo together before we call it a night. Uh.